Well, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. We have a short text tonight. Uh, basically the last furniture item in the tabernacle. And the next two things that we'll look at are not furniture, but rather anointing oil, incense, are things that are used in the ongoing work of the tabernacle. Exodus 30, verse 17. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also make a laver of bronze, with its base also of bronze, for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, for Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water, lest they die. So they shall wash their hands and their feet, lest they die. And it shall be a statute forever to them, to him and his descendants, throughout their generations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this perpetual statute that calls upon us to be clean for the worship of the living God. Lord, we thank you that we are already clean through the word that your Son has spoken to us. Thank you for the word, his words, which are spirit and life, which cleanse us. We pray that this message would be the word of Christ to us, that it would continue to do the work of the labor in cleansing us and making us fit for divine service in your presence, in your temple. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this, the last piece of furniture, is a large tub or tank for holding water. There's no dimensions given, no, no hints as to how large this thing was. It's not called a sea, though the one in Solomon's temple is later called a sea. Uh, most translations translate the name as basin or laver. The New Living has my favorite wash basin. I don't know where they came up with that, but... This was a big tub or tank, probably rather similar to the one behind us, except that it was made of bronze rather than fiberglass. What did this piece of furniture do, and what did it mean? That's what we'll look at tonight. We'll see that this piece of furniture shows us that a true priest has to be washed with pure water. A true priest has to be washed, and the presence of this tub of water in the tabernacle, also shows us that God rules the sea. God rules the waters. A true priest must be washed with pure water. Well, first look a little bit at what the laver was. The first point about this is that the presence of the laver in the tabernacle courtyard is mentioned repeatedly throughout the Bible, and especially in the Psalms that associate the waves of the sea with the holiness of God's house. Psalm 93, for instance, The floods have lifted up, O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves, mightier than the sound of many waters, than the mighty breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your testimonies are very sure. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. So we have this association between the mighty waves of the sea 
and the dwelling place of God in Psalm 93. Psalm 46 makes the same point. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her when morning dawns. This association between the mighty waves of the sea, the tumultuous roaring sea in a storm, and the permanent fixed house of God comes up again in Psalm 46. And in Psalm 89, the point is made, I think most clearly, you rule the waves of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. The house of God is associated with the pounding surf, not because the temple was built like a lighthouse out there in the waves, but rather because God rules the sea and the temple as the place of his presence is where that rule is most concentrated. But God's rule is such that he rules not just within the four walls of the tabernacle or within the tabernacle courtyard, His rule is powerful enough to still the ultimate force of chaos and destruction, which is the sea. Those of you who like to play in the surf, to run out into the waves and have them beat on you and knock you over, God also, in a sense, plays in the surf, or rules the surf, shown most, most powerfully in the work of Christ on the Sea of Galilee, as he says, peace, be still. And immediately, there was a great calm. The gods of the ancient Near East were said to battle sea monsters and to conquer them in order to impose order on the chaos waters. God doesn't have to battle sea monsters. He's so firmly in control that he has a domesticated sea right in the courtyard of his house. So remember we said you come in the door you go through, well, you come in the gate of the tabernacle complex and the first thing you see is the altar of burnt offering that stands between you and the tabernacle door and it's this massive flaming pyre, seven and a half feet square with a bowl burning on top of it. But on the far side of that, after you pass through the fire, you pass through the water. On the far side of that, our text tells us, is stationed this labor so that after being cleansed by sacrifice, you can be washed. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. So God values cleanliness. He says, in no uncertain terms, I don't want my servants to be filthy and dirty. Every time they come near, they shall wash with water, lest they die. They shall wash their hands and their feet. So the altar symbolizes the truth. As we talked about, there's no access to God's presence without the shedding of blood. But the labor symbolizes the truth that there is no access to God's presence without being cleansed. A true priest has to be washed in pure water. And this piece of furniture, unlike the altar, 
did not need to be cleansed. Uh, God simply says, build it, put it up. The bronze altar was cleansed with blood. We looked at this the last couple of weeks. Chapter 29, verse 36, you shall offer a bull every day. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. The golden altar also had to be cleansed with blood. Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Labor is different. It doesn't need to be cleansed. It is itself a place of cleansing. So if the altar symbolizes one aspect of the work of Christ, as he's burned up or his life is consumed to pay for our sins, the labor symbolizes another aspect. He is able to cleanse his people and he himself needs no cleansing. He doesn't have to have sacrificial blood smeared on him. He is this bottomless source of cleansing power for all who come to him. So the laver cleansed the priests with water. Uh, Probably it was elevated. Solomon certainly was up on the backs of the oxen. And the text here mentions a stand. You shall make it of bronze with its base of bronze. And so presumably there was some kind of tap or taps in the bottom of it where you could open the spigot and release water. We should not think of the priests bathing or swimming across the laver and polluting all the water inside, rather letting the water out to wash their feet and hands. So the spiritual meaning of this text, in one sense, is the physical meaning. God doesn't want his priests to be filthy, stinky, and dirty. He wants us to be physically clean. The old American tradition of bathing on Saturday night is related exactly to what is said here. If you're filthy, don't come into the presence of God. I mean, God takes it to the point where if they don't wash their hands and feet, they will die. You should show up for worship cleansed in a physical sense. That doesn't make you spiritually holy, but it does please the Lord. The other, to come dirty, dishonors God, and essentially uh, does make you unholy. In a spiritual sense, you're doing something he doesn't like. Then, so one direct application of the truth of the labor is to clean up for worship. Make sure you've washed your feet and hands and your whole body, if at all possible. I think that's something that uh, obviously echoes loudly in the purity codes of our own society. So that doesn't need a whole lot of belaboring in this place. What else can we learn from the labor as we try to look at the obvious? One point we can draw from this is that the Lord wants present in his house among his worshiping people whatever is needed to allow us to worship. Now, put that way, that's a little bit vague. What do you mean? Like anything we need? I still remember uh, my parents were forced out of their church when I was eight or nine years old, somewhere in there. And they spent a little bit of time visiting local churches, and we went to one that was meeting in an elementary school gym. And the message at that church was, salvation is not like a free toaster at the bank, which confused me. 
greatly. I'd never heard of a free toaster at the bank. I didn't associate banks with toasters. But anyway, <laughs> the message there was salvation is not like the free toaster at the bank. And they had the worship band and they had all of the electronic paraphernalia that went with that. Microphones, cords everywhere, sound equipment, lights, the whole nine yards. The stage had been set up completely for this. And I remember the pastor talking in his message at that church plant about the paraphernalia of worship, and how it's a lot of work to get ready for worshiping God. And even as a nine-year-old, I was thinking, you don't have to have lights and miles of cable and racks of electronic equipment and seven or eight musical instruments, all with their own microphone. You just, you don't have to have that to worship the Lord. So when I say God wants us to have among ourselves when we worship whatever is needed to allow us to worship I'm not trying to open the door and say whatever you want to use in the worship of God that can come in and be part of what we do here we should get flags to wave and we should get dancing shoes and we should get this and that what do I mean well what is needed we have the elements of worship to read the word to hear the word uh, preaching, reading, praying, singing, those are the main elements of worship along with giving. That is what the service should be built around. And then to make those possible are some circumstances, right? Having a building, having chairs versus standing, having lights or having natural light, or worshiping in the dark or with a few candles, whatever you have, right? This elements. These are circumstances relating to worship. The labor is not an element of worship. It is a circumstance relating to worship, similar to having a tank in the room or not today. We don't have to have this tank in order to worship God in this location. God doesn't demand that a tank be present to worship him. He demands merely that the worshipers be clean. And therefore, it makes sense that we have a building with bathrooms where we can be clean. It's a circumstance that relates to our worship. So God says, put the tank there. The tank is not part of worship in the same way as the altar. But it is something that allows worship to happen. So, God cares about the smallest details of our worship. He tells Moses, build the tank, put the tank in a particular spot, and make sure that you wash your hands and feet every time or you will die. That Most of us would consider that to be a fairly small detail. right? And uh, in a medical context, you're told to wash in and wash out. Every time you open a door and go into a room, wash your hands when you enter that room. Wash your hands when you leave that room. When you come into the next room, wash your hands. Where did that come from? In one sense, it comes from right here. When God says, to come into my presence, I want you to be clean. I care about the details. By the same token, that means we are not allowed to make up additional details and thrust them into the worship of God. Say, well, if one tank is good, ten tanks are better. Now Solomon had ten tanks in his temple. He had one large one and ten small ones on wheels that could be carried around the courtyard. 
But we shouldn't multiply things, have a baptismal here and another one there, and then tell everybody that's holier, that's better. God cares about the details. God wants us to do exactly what he said and only what he said. The last application I would make from this labor is to look to your baptism. Your bodies have been washed with pure water. And if not, you are not yet fit to come into God's presence. Instead of washing in and washing out every time, we don't have a wash station in this room because that physical detail, while still important, is not the most important aspect here. The spiritual need for cleansing through baptism is key, and that is a once-for-all cleansing. The daily washing in the tabernacle ritual has been replaced by an eschatological washing, an in-time, once-for-all washing that cleanses us from sin and fits us for our Father's presence. That's why baptism is necessary for entering into the ongoing life of the church. Now, baptism, again, is a symbol of the greater cleansing. Jesus, John says, I baptized you with water. Someone is coming after me who will baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. Jesus says to the disciples, you are clean, but not all of you, referring to Judas as the unclean one in their midst. Judas presumably had had water baptism like the other disciples, but was still unclean. He had not been cleansed internally by the word of Christ, by the spirit of Christ. So don't just say, well, I'm baptized, I got wet, therefore I'm certainly cleansed and fit for the presence of God. If you're unbaptized, then you are, need to be baptized to be fit for the presence of God. But you need not just the physical right, though you need that, You need the baptism with the Spirit and fire, the cleansing by the Word of Christ that Jesus speaks about. So the laborers stood in the tabernacle courtyard to say, be clean to come into God's presence. The true priest must be cleansed. The true priest or the true worshiper is welcome in the presence of God when clean. God rules the sea. God rules water. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this tame sea in the tabernacle courtyard that shows your victory over the primal chaos. We thank you, Father, that this sea was not merely there as a hunting trophy, but rather that it is used in the worship of God as a circumstance to assist your people in being clean in your presence. We ask, Father, that you would help us to be clean, not just in a physical sense, as important as that is, but in a spiritual sense, cleansed by the word that Christ has spoken to us, cleansed by the Holy Spirit and fire. Take away our sins, cleanse us, fit us to be clean in your presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.